Good morning. A little different entrance, I know, than the last time I preached. Not as fun. I'm Ashley Atkins. I'm the associate pastor here. I feel like there's a lot of faces here I don't know, which is awesome, but I wanted you to know me, especially because today we're talking about something pretty personal. We're talking about family. Um, so I feel like you should know my name. So I'm Ashley, and I'm so glad that everybody's here today to worship together. It's so good to be in the house of God today. Uh, oh, sometimes, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I write a sermon at the beginning of the week, and I'm like, sweet, that was great. And then come Friday, I'll wake up, and it's like, well, that missed the mark. That was this week. And it, it hit me even harder. I was in my car, and I had listened to one podcast, and it went automatically to this other one that I didn't even pick, and it was Francis Chan. And he started talking about how he had really struggled with this message and didn't know what to say. And so he fell to his knees and he said, God, tell me what you want my church, your church to hear. Tell me what you want your church to hear. And when I heard him say that, it paralyzed me. Because I realized I had written a sermon that was great, had funny points in it, but it was too gentle. It was what I wanted to hear. Because we're talking about family. And I think being a mom of three kids under the age of five, I'm in the trenches of building a family. And so I needed gentle. It's not gentle anymore. Okay? <laughs> I think now we have a sermon that's more what God is saying in his word that is challenging. And when we hear God's word, it needs to be challenging. It needs to convict us to live differently because I can guarantee you we aren't Jesus yet. We have work that needs to be done on our hearts. And I want to start off with this truth, this truth that is a tough one. But it's a, it's a truth that we all need to admit today, and that's our families are in trouble. Especially in this country, our families are in trouble. And here's why I think this is. I think it's because what our families are founded on the understanding of that foundation has been construed, and it's broken. I think the world has taken what that foundation should be, which is love, and has defined it in a way that is different than what God's intention of that definition should be. And no matter the variation of family, and there are lots of it. And I think that's a big reason why I struggled is because there are so many variations of family today. Whether there's one parent or two parents or four parents or grandparents who are parenting, no matter the variation, what matters and what research, research shows matters is how vital the relationships are within those families and the stability that those families provide. And relationship and stability is founded in love. And the world has taken hold of love and made it the world's. And in doing that, it's confused our families. So what we need to do first when we're talking about families is define what is love? What is love? And so we're going to visit a scripture today. It's not Proverbs, but it's a scripture that God has been hitting me with in all different ways. Even this morning, I did two devotionals, one on spiritual warfare and one on parenting, and this verse was used in both of them. Totally different topics, maybe. I don't know. Parenting is definitely spiritual warfare. <laughs> but we see this verse from 1 John, and what does it say? 
Who is love, friends? What is love, friends? God is love. You don't know love until you know God. And then he goes on to say, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes a home, and matures in us so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. Now that last line, <laughs> our standing in the world being identical to Christ, that's a whole nother sermon series. We're not ready for that. Not today. God is love. That is our foundation. That is the foundation that God has ordained for families. And so we threw in the Nicene Creed today, and I really appreciate y'all indulging me. I think, I think saying affirmations of faith, whether the traditional service or this service, is vital for us to remember who we are, to remember who we're here worshiping. And what the Nicene Creed does, what it did back in Way 325, it defined for us, it provided our belief of who and what we believe the Trinity to be. The Trinity, this word that you won't find in Scripture, but the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, woven all throughout Scripture. One God, three persons. And we can't talk about relationship. We can't talk about love unless we talk about the Trinity. The Trinity is one of those things that's really simple. One God, three persons. Okay, check. But when you start digging in to all the intricacies, oh, use this word, not that word. Say it this way, not that way. It gets really complex. And what it does for me is it provides some humble pie. It reminds me that there's lots of mystery about God and that I'm never going to know it all. And that provides me a great relief. I don't have to know it all. But the Trinity tells us today a few things. First, it confirms that we were created for relationships because God is relationship. Tom mentioned that last week. We were created for relationship. And of course we are. When we look at the triune God, the triune God is relationship. And we are created in whose image? God's, the triune God. So, of course, we are created for relationship. Secondly, it tells us that God, that relationship is bound by love. It's bound by love. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There was so much love in that relationship that it overflowed and so humanity was created so that God could share that overabundance of love with humanity. God is personal. He shared it with humanity, created humanity, but what did we do? We messed it up, right? We sinned. We put separation between us and God. But from that time, God continues to seek us out. Because he desires relationship with us. He wants us to experience that love that overflows out of the triune God. 
And once we experience that love, then we realize we have an abundance of it, and we can then let it spill out into our relationships and our families and in the relationships we talked about last week with our friends and everyone we meet. We have this perfect depiction. And persons is not a perfect word to describe the Trinity, three persons, one God. But what it does, it's better than a role, it's better than a job or a part, because God is so much more than that. But what it does for us is it helps us know that, yes, we have three equal parts here residing in the Trinity, three eternal parts who have been and will always be. But a God who is personal, who is loving, who is relational. And so we too, friends, are called to be that way, especially in our families. And now that we've established that, that was just the beginning. We can dig into family. And before we get into this, I want to make it clear that a reason why this was so hard to write is because I know there are so many circumstances and situations and complication that can come out of families. And so many different roles that reside within families. We're going to talk about three major ones today. Knowing that there is lots of gray. Knowing that there are lots of dynamics that I won't be able to touch on today. But I offer you this. Pray for God to show you what he's trying to say to you specifically today about your family. He's got a nugget in here for you. One that's going to challenge you to live more into the life that he's created within the family that he has blessed you with. And so we're going to start with parents. We're going to rip that band-aid off. And I want to start off, and I expect lots of amens for those parents in the room. Being a parent is the most rewarding and the most challenging role you will ever have. Amen. Thank you. Woo, I feel so validated now. I needed that. It, it's the realization and the truth that you know absolutely nothing about what you're about to do or that, about what you're doing. I, I know so many times, like, especially when Summit was a baby, I'm like, I'm so glad she has no idea that her mom has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> now she's five, and she likes to point it out. We're not even at a teenage years yet, friends. Woo! So let's see what Proverbs has to say about this. All right, Proverbs says about parenting, train children in the right way. And when old, they will not stray. We're going to unpack this. So obviously... You know, it says, train your children in the right way. Well, we're not going to train our children in the wrong way, at least not intentionally, I should say that. Our goal is to raise our children up in the right way. We want to do that. So when we dig into the Hebrew original text of what this says, you're going to get the AGA version, which is my initials. Here's how I would interpret this. It says, know who your child is and teach in their way. So when they aren't with you, they remember who they are and stay true to it. They remember who they are and stay true to it. Now, this doesn't mean that they get everything they want whenever they want it in the abundance that they want it. That's not what I'm saying. Kids in the room, 
That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is it's extremely important, parents, that we get to know our kids. Not who we want them to be, who they are. What makes them tick? What drives them? How do they process information? How do they, where do they find their joy? How do they have fun? How do they experience life? I'll say this very clearly. Our kids are our disciples. Our kids are our disciples. And I don't remember the moment that this clicked for me and Chris when we realized, oh, you know, we're talking about discipleship all the time. But here they are. They're not our only disciples, but daggone, they're important to our kids and they're our disciples. So this means, are we being servant leaders like Jesus is a servant leader? Are we generously giving of our time to them? Is every decision we make a decision that is helping them grow as disciples now so that when they're older, the Holy Spirit has room to move within them, to help guide them and direct them in the way in which we have prayed for, we long for. Are they in Sunday school? Are they sometimes in worship with us in here? That's an awesome thing. I would love for our kids to be here every now and then. They need to experience communal worship with us. Are they in Awana? Are they studying the Bible? Are they in activities that point to God? Are we praying at dinner time? Let me back up even more. Are we having dinner with our kids? Are we eating together as a family? I'm going to get on a soapbox. Did you know that eating together, even three dinners a week, just three, lowers children's risk of depression, suicidal thoughts, violent behavior, substance abuse, alcoholism, or eating disorders. Three times a week. Eating together as a family will increase their self-esteem. All because of a meal that we have together as a family. I seem to remember Jesus making a big deal about a meal. He doesn't do that just so we remember him. He does it because meals, fellowship, making that time for another is important to the kingdom work he is doing in the world. Are we loving our kids well? Are we playing with them? Are we doing things they enjoy to do? Do we love our kids in a transformational way? The way in which God loves us. Speaking of kids, those young and those young at heart, let's move on to that role. Let's look at what Proverbs has to say in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Hear, my child, your father's instruction, and do not reject your mother's teaching, for they are a fair garland for your head and penance for your neck. Isn't this a beautiful visual? I'm going to tell my kid that. You need to listen to me. You're going to be wearing beautiful penance around your neck, and it's called your mom's wisdom. That'll go real, really well. <laughs> But what this is really saying, what this was really talking about in the context, which is very interesting, is it's talking about when kids would wayfare away from their families to search for wealth or success 
in different areas, the bad crowds. Even in ancient Hebrew times, they were hanging out with gangs or ways to make money really quick. Those promiscuous ways. And so this is saying, my version, keep your parents and their memories close. They care for you and everything they did, even though you may have perceived it as being hard or unfair, was out of love and care for your goodness. Hear that, Mom? My mom watches every week. I have to give her a shout-out every now and then. The hardest lesson for kids and parents is letting go. It's letting go. But at the end of the day, parents, you don't control your kids. And kids, you can't control your parents. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But when we can change the lens of how they parent us, we can begin to see that they were doing, that we are doing the best that we can. The best that we can, the best that they can. I realize this especially because I require a lot of grace. I apologize to my kids a lot. I do. And you're like, wow, your kids are only five and three and ten months. But I do, I apologize a lot, and I do that because I want them to know I'm flawed, that I am not perfect, that I am messed up, I'm going to make mistakes. My hope in doing that and apologizing to them and admitting that I was wrong is because I want them to know when they mess up, when they make a mistake, when they get it wrong, that they can come to me and I'm going to understand. I'm going to try to listen to them without being judgmental or hurtful that I'm going to be able to greet them with grace and mercy. It sounds a lot like another relationship, right? The relationship vertically that we have with God, because we all require grace and mercy from God all the time. And I don't want you to hear me that I'm a perfect parent. Did you hear what I said earlier? I apologize a lot. I get a lot wrong. And Chris and I say all the time, oh, they're going to be in therapy for that. That's going to happen. Like We mess up and we make mistakes. But we learn, especially as kids, at some point we're going to learn that our parents aren't perfect. Minus those teenage years when, of course, they don't know anything because we know it all. When they grow out of that, when we begin to see that our parents aren't perfect, that's a hard lesson to learn. And for those of us who are older, when we've learned that, it was hard. Because our parents are supposed to be that person that just helps us through everything and knows everything. But what we can realize is that if they're sharing something with us, if they have shared something with us, if we've gone through an experience together, then it was done out of trust and love, and they shared it because they wanted the best for us. They wanted us to succeed. And we can be open, more open, to the things they have to share with us as kids. Lastly, we're going to move on to spouses in marriage. I don't see my husband in the room, by the way. It's very interesting. He's going to kill me for calling that out. So I'm going to tell a funny story about him because he's like, you guys are doing a a sermon series on Proverbs, right? And I said, yeah. 
He's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, like 30 minutes later or something, he asked me a question. He's like, hey, I want to see if, uh, have you ever heard this before? And I was like, yeah, what is it? He goes, uh, it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> he said, do you know what that is? I said, yeah, it's a proverb. He went, oh, yeah, are you preaching on that? I said, now I am. He loves whenever I use him as an example in my sermons. I, I couldn't help but do that. But it, seriously, though, let's look at some wisdom, okay, about marriage and what we need to learn about marriage. So marriage is a relationship in which one person is always right and the other is the husband. Whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> Who put that in there? Tom must have done that since he's not here. If your significant other is mad, put a cape on them and say, now you're super mad. If they laugh, marry them. That was one of my favorites. That's so something I could see myself doing. But for real, though, we, we, we have to laugh, right? you got to have a little fun. So let's, for real, look and see what Proverbs 31.10 says. A capable wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, you can look through Proverbs, and it's going to be tough for you to find wisdom about husbands. There's a reason for that. More than likely, the sage was writing this to a young lad. So it was important for him to know what to look for in a wife. Another part of that, I'll do this nugget out here, and you can take with it what you will. Wisdom all throughout Scripture is depicted as a woman. She, her pronouns. So... One could say that wisdom in human form is a woman. <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. I'm just telling you what the scripture, I'm just, that's deducted out of that stuff. But seriously though, chapter 31 is written in an acrostic from the alphabet of Hebrew. So every letter of the alphabet, there is a line about a wife and the wisdom of the wife, okay? And so literally what you have in chapter 31 is the wonders of the woman from A to Z. It's like the perfect thing. So guys, if you're really struggling for Valentine's Day, give them chapter 31 from Proverbs. You've given her a poem. Good for you. Chris, don't do that. So if I had to rephrase this more aligned with the Hebrew language because this word capable is not a good word. It's not the word that is truly intended from and what is meant out of the Hebrew word. This is more about what this would say. When you find the valiant wife, that word literally is lion-hearted, fierce. We all know fierce women, right? You will know how rare and special she is. As her husband, you will trust her, and your success will be because of the life you build together. She will look out for you and your goodness, full of devotion forever. Y'all know, especially those of you who've been married, Harold, you and Nancy, 60 years, congratulations, my goodness, you know marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. It's not easy. You have to make a choice every single day to choose your spouse. Every single day, you've got to remember and remind yourself, I'm married to this person, and I'm going to choose them today. 
And I'm going to say something. When you have kids, it gets even harder because these little things just suck the life out of you. I mean, <laughs> they just consume your time. <laughs> I have lots of pictures of, and I almost put up here, of Chris, and he's just got a kid attached to him everywhere. I mean, our three kids are just hanging off of him all the time, and Camden's only 10 months old. But they're just, they just, they just you just consume all of your time, and it's so easy to forget marriage. It's so easy to do that because her time is just spent taking care of these little kids. They can't take care of themselves. They have to have us. But friends, marriage has to be a priority. God first, spouse second, then the kids. Not God first, then work, then spouse, hobby, then spouse. It, it can't be that way. It's not the foundation that God wants. You and your spouse are the head of your families. have to make time for one another. It's hard to do. I know it's hard to do. And I also know that there are lots of variations of this. There are situations that I can't get into right now that are toxic and abusive. And when those situations happen, you have to do what's best for your physical self, for your kid's physical self, for your mental health, for your emotional well-being. I understand all of that, so hear me when I acknowledge that. We have to be aware of those situations as well. And as the church, we still have to support and love those people and help them and be there for them and encourage them. Because that's hard. So each week, Tom has been prescribing I like to question. I like the open-endedness of it, I guess. It convinced me more. So how is it with my family? Am I my spouse's biggest fan? Because you should be. You could even get one of those fingers. Woo, you're going to do great today, honey. Be, our biggest, be their biggest fan. Cheer them on. Focus on the good. You take the good and the bad, right? That's what marriage is. But focus on the good. Yeah, it's the hundredth time that he's moved the thing that you put here for the various crazy reason you worked up in your head. And so you had to search for it an extra 20 minutes. But it's okay. You can tell that's a thing in our house. I'm not the tidy one. My husband is. And he's out there like doing this again. But focus on the good, not the bad. Be thankful that my husband likes to keep my house nice and tidy. See, honey, I love you. Am I praying with my family together for my family? And this is a big one. I, I, I've heard so many people say when prayer came out of schools, it just destroyed our country. In which my response is, are you praying at home? Because guess where they can't take prayer? From your home. Nobody can take that from you. Are we praying together as a family? Because I don't believe that we are just based on the way I see this world being. We're not praying together. Well, I don't like to pray. It's awkward. Get over it. We have to start praying together. Who's going to teach our kids to pray if we aren't praying with them? If I'm my spouse's biggest fan, I need to be praying with him. I need to be praying for him. Praying for my kids, that they have the protection of God when I am not there, because we aren't always with our kids. 
Am I worshiping with my family? The first line of defense against the enemy is prayer. The second, worship. Are we worshiping with our families? Are we listening to praise music in the car? Sometimes I'll, my kids listen to chapel music all the time, and sometimes I'll find myself singing a chapel song after they're already gone. I'm in the Lord's army. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, here I am again singing a kid's song. But not only worshiping and singing and praising, this isn't the only way that worship looks like. Are we serving together? High Point is an awesome opportunity to get to do that. It's an awesome time to come together and worship. I took my five-year-old and she loved it. It was a great time. We got to serve together. That is worship. How often do I play with my kids? Now, if you're like, okay, well, my kids are adults. Don't think it's going to work if I pull some Legos out. But what do they enjoy? Have a meal together. Take your adult kids out for dinner or breakfast. Go watch a ball game with them or a concert. What do they like to do? Because you know what? You know what play is for kids? It is the way they process their emotions. And it will open them up. They will start communicating. They'll do stuff. They'll say things. Like somebody will just open up with something. I'm like, where in the world did that come from? Chris, did you know about that? It helps them be comfortable. They're in their element. Get on the floor with your kids. If you have adult kids, figure out a way to enjoy them. Have I apologized lately? This is a big one. Have I apologized lately? You know what the words I'm sorry does and not this I'm sorry. Not that kind of I'm sorry. The I'm sorry that really comes from the heart. You know what that does? It opens the door to forgiveness. And when that door is open, love can enter in. Love can enter in again. I messed up. I hurt you and that stinks. How can I make it better? That should be a knee-jerk reaction whenever we mess up are those things on how to reconcile and how to make things better and take our pride, put it on the back seat, and love that way. What are our family values? I mean, most of us that work in a company or a business, or we have values, right? We've got values out on our back wall out there as a church. What's your family values? When you make decisions, what are you basing them on right now? Chris and I have really worked hard on trying to make values. This has been something that's been important for us. Obviously, love has to be one of those, right? It has to be God's love. And when you do that, when you make that a value, that means you got to know who God is in that family. you got to be working to know who God is, and everybody's got to be in that. What are your values? When you make decisions together, then you know you're basing them on the values of who you are. And when you're apart, am I basing this decision on my values, on my family's values? I don't know. Like I said, this was a really tough sermon to write. It's tough because family is complicated. Amen? Family's complicated. It can take lots of shapes, lots of forms, lots of twists and turns. By the end of the day, the foundation, when it's built on God's love, it will withstand whatever may happen. 
And that's the goal in our lives. Let's pray, God. God, we thank you for your love. You th- we thank you that these relationships aren't on contract, that this, we don't do this out of obligation. We do this because it's a covenant. The covenant, God, that you have modeled for us through your son, Jesus Christ. A model of love. You came here. You died for us. You resurrected. And the Holy Spirit is with us because of love. And now we are in covenant with you, and you ask us to be in covenant with our families. Lord, help us to depend on that love, to seek your love when we aren't sure of the answer. And God, your forgiveness whenever we don't get it right, and not only of you, but the people that we've hurt. God, we know this isn't easy, but we know that you told us it would not be. You promised us that, but you also promised us that you would be with us every step of the way. And God, we hold true to that truth today. We pray that it carries us from this time of worship into getting back into our lives. May you be in the midst of it. May you be a priority to us. We love you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.